This Talking Flutes podcast is kindly sponsored by Trevor James Flutes, making life sound beautiful. You can show them some flute love by following them on Instagram at TJ Flutes, Trevor James Flutes on Facebook, and at trevorjamesflutes.com. Hello everybody and welcome this week to Talking Flutes Extra. Extra as in, well, you know, the one in between the others. The better ones done by Claire. This week, sadly, you have me, Jean-Paul Wright. Well, the ideas and suggestions for future podcasts which we ask for are coming in thick and fast. So thank you. Feel free to keep filling up our inbox at flutepodcasts at gmail.com and also via our at Talking Flutes Instagram and Facebook pages. After all, Talking Flutes podcast is just the sum of its parts, which are the ideas and suggestions from you, our lovely listeners. We recently received a suggestion by Beth Devling over Facebook, who left a message saying, I would really love to hear from flutists about overcoming injury and illnesses. So this week, Beth and our lovely audience, we have a guest who has done just that. Emma Brown was coming towards the end of her music degree, loving her life and her flute playing, when a devastating accident ten months ago left her with life-changing injuries. Following her story on social media, I have been amazed at the positivity and resilience of this young lady. All this done with an honest realism at now being a double amputee, but also with a sense of humour. Her new Instagram name is The Footless Flautist that underpins her strength and determination to look forward to her new normal. Back to playing her flute after only a few months, she has recently undertaken a 30-minute standing recital, which demonstrates how much work she and the brilliant physiotherapists have done. Emma will also be starting her Masters in Music in the not-too-distant future. So, lovely Talking Flutes audience, please can you give a huge and warm welcome to the wonderful, the footless flautist, Emma Brown. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my, my, my pleasure, my great pleasure. So, for pretty obvious reasons, and from the outset, may I warn the listeners that this will be an honest dialogue with Emma, and she'll be guiding the narrative as we might be covering areas which may be uncomfortable for some. If any questions sit uncomfortably for Emma, you'll soon know because she'll tell me. However, I'm keen to have an update on how Emma is doing, but also learn more about how, if anything, her flute playing has changed or developed since the accident. So before I start, Emma... Would you mind if I actually read a post that you did on Instagram in January, which I think encompasses everything that you're experiencing and you're going through? So would you mind if I actually started with that? Yeah, that's absolutely fine. Go for it. Emma's Instagram is the footless flautist from the 25th of January. Well, actually, uh, let's just go for it, shall we? Sometimes when things are feeling tough, You've got to take a step back and look how far you've come. Examine the obstacles you've fought through to get where you are right now and for once feel a bit of pride. And Emma goes on to 
gives some photographs of her physical process. And then she says, but I think what's been even harder is progressing mentally. She was open. I've struggled with depression and anxiety for a long time now. And trust me, this past year hasn't helped. While there have been a lot of achievements and positive, it often feels like I'm taking two steps forward and three steps back. Or three steps forward and two steps back. What is that phrase? (laughs) Anyway, what I'm trying to say is that while there have been brilliant days, there have also been very bad days where I've cried in the shower because I don't want to be an amputee anymore and woken up from horrible dreams and experienced horrible flashbacks. Now, I'm not saying this because I want pity. I don't. I'm saying it because I want to be honest about my experiences. I want to show how incredible the human brain and body are and how, when it feels like everything is horrible, there's always a little part of you which is saying, come on, keep going, it's going to get better. And she put a love heart there. And it will. I'm so grateful to be alive and amazing things have happened this past year and I've grown so much. You've just got to repeat the mantra which echoes my entire recovery process. One step at a time. Literally. I mean, what a post. What a post, Emma. It just sort of it encompasses your journey so far, doesn't it? Yeah, I think I think I wrote that after having quite a bad day and feeling a bit sort of rubbish about how I was doing. And actually, I think I kind of said to myself, well, I, I need I need to just look at how far I've come and what I'm what I'm doing. And I think it's very easy to be hard on ourselves. Let's talk briefly about mental illness because mental illness can strike anybody or afflict anybody I don't know if affliction is the right thing but we can all experience mental illness sometimes from a very young age and it's not often diagnosed and but you just get these feelings of darkness and greyness and as musicians if you have a natural propensity to anxiety or depression it actually becomes very hard doesn't it to sort of navigate your way through that yeah I think it I think it really does I think so when you're when you're playing music I think we're we're always taught to be very critical of ourselves and (laughs) you're you've got you can't just play a piece of music you've got to look at how you're doing and you know you usually have that kind of voice in your head saying oh okay you need to play that a bit differently whatever but I think Sometimes when you're feeling worse, that can be a really, really hard thing to deal with. So it's kind of pushing through that, I guess. Yeah. So when you first went to university to do your undergraduate as a flute player and you've posted some absolutely beautiful videos of you on the stage with orchestra doing the Mozart. And I did before this question, I did, you know, I I did ask Emma, I said, um, were you playing in bare feet? Because it just looked like you were—you just had sort of stocking feet. But Emma assures me that they were sort of black, flat shoes. But when you started your undergrad, moving away from home for the first time as a musician, you've got almost a double bubble, haven't you? Because it's hard to move away from home. But then as a musician, it is very different to learning another subject because self-criticism is part of you know the downside to being a musician because you've got to be critical of how you're playing you've got to be critical of your practice but we don't like this self-critical sort of circle do we no and I think it's I think it's trying to be critical of yourself when you're playing but in a way that you're also aware of your abilities and you're still kind of pushing yourself and feeling positive about your playing to an extent yeah let's jump forward 10 months ago, you had an accident and 
You have now got two prosthetics. Yes. And what was really interesting is when you popped back up, you popped back up on your social media feed and you changed your name from the feminine flutist, flautist, mm. to the footless flautist. That was a very brave thing to sort of change to. It's almost very direct. I haven't got feet anymore. <laughs> yeah, I really thought about that one because... I, I'd started this flute count, the feminist flautist, like I think Christmas sort of 2020, Christmas 2020. And it was just to kind of get my confidence up with my playing and get myself used to recording and just kind of grow, yeah, try and get stuff out there and feel better about my playing, I guess. But then after my accident, I wanted to go back to that and I wanted to keep using the account because I knew that it was it really helped motivate me as a flautist and it was just it was just fun to do. But I wanted to change because I I kind of been posting sort of feminist stuff because I am a feminist, but I didn't really like the name that much and I wanted to change it. And obviously, my first thought because I think the way I've coped with <laughs> this with my applications has been humour, and so I just decided that I wanted to change it to the footless flautist and decided this pretty early on but I kind of waited a bit and told people first through my initial post and then changed the name my worry was that people would find out by just coming <laughs> across me as the footless flautist which people probably did but you know I feel like I just wanted to be open and I just wanted to be myself and now I don't have feet and that's just part of me and it's but I'm also a flautist so yeah now, were you as humorous where before the accident, or is this this been your? You've said it's been your sort of coping mechanism, but has it sort of expanded because it's enabled you to not only speak very openly about some of the struggles you're having, but also you've put it in such a sort of quite a funny way that it sort of gets everybody. You know, it, it, instead of sort of saying, "Oh." You know, we'll, we'll talk about in a second using a wheelchair before you have your your legs fitted. The, the thought of going up and down the ramps, we just don't think about that up and down hills. But you put it in a very humorous way so that people read it and then they smile. Yeah, I think I've spoken to, a, I'm, I'm, I obviously know a lot of amputees and people who've been through trauma and things. And I think a lot of people use humour because I think it kind of lightens the mood and helps you a bit. And I think, you know, I always liked making jokes before and everything and it was just the way of dealing with it initially. Not, you know, I was also dealing with it in other ways, but I also use humour in my Instagram posts and generally. Before my amputations, I had no idea. I didn't really know much about disability. I didn't know, I didn't really know where to look when I saw someone in a wheelchair. And I didn't really know, I, I felt very ignorant. And I'm just trying to help other people see that actually like it's okay just kind of joke about it with me and yeah just kind of figure it out I guess. But what shocked me was yeah you were in a wheelchair early doors but how quickly you ended up with legs. <laughs> I mean it was it was just such a shock to see you walking. Yeah so I had my accident in May beginning of May and then I left hospital end of May and then I went to the Queen Mary's Hospital as an outpatient and I kind of went to them. And I think I'd initially been told, oh, you're not going to even start walking on prosthetics for six months kind of thing. And then I went to this appointment, this assessment with 
Queen Mary, at the Queen Mary's Hospital in Roehampton. And it's one of the, like the leading prosthetic centres, the Douglas Barber Centre. They're amazing. And they kind of said to me, oh, OK, we'll get you walking by the end of July. And this was the beginning of June. And I remember just feeling, just being completely speechless. And my mum was too, because we just didn't think that would happen. And I also, part of me, in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah, right, that's not going to happen. But I did seven weeks of physio, three days a week, two hours a time. And it was just a lot of walking up and down and getting used to it. And I mean, the physios were amazing. The environment there is, they're just so, so supportive and lovely and it was a real routine and it kind of gave me stability at the beginning, quite literally when I was standing as well. Um, so I was discharged from that at the end of July. And then, but obviously you're, you're walking on a flat gym and flat ground. And so that's quite, obviously it's not easy when you first start using prosthetics, but you think, oh, okay, I can walk, you know, it's fine. And then you go out into the world and you Get you, you start walking on pavements, which are like climbing mountains practically because they have lots of them are sloped or, you know, there are roots in the way. And then you go you go into a garden on the grass and it's like, oh, my gosh, this is very hilly, almost hilly as well. But obviously it's not. So I think, yeah, it's <laughs> it's been a whole process. I wouldn't say that my I finished learning to walk at the end of July. I think I'm still learning each day. But I have to say, like, I have to attribute all my success to <laughs> invest to the um, Queen Mary's Hospital because they they were amazing and really, really good with me. Well, it's a partnership because you have to be bloody minded as well. <laughs> yeah. And I think part what helped, actually, was our... So my house really isn't very accessible, my parents' home, where I've moved home. So it kind of meant that if I wanted to do things, I needed to be on my legs. So that sort of forced me out of my wheelchair a bit because then I could, I could get up and do more things. You know, I was sick of being in the wheelchair and I wanted to just get moving. And, yeah. You mentioned the, the hospital and it was named after Sir Douglas Bader, who's a very, who was a very, very famous World War II pilot, fighter yeah. pilot, and he himself had no legs. Yeah, he lost them in a crash, I think. Yeah. A plane crash. So from St Douglas Bader, I mean, legs have come a long way since then because yeah. when you see the old videos of, Sir Douglas walking he literally was not walking properly he was sort of walking sort of strangely really obviously having false legs but you posted yesterday a picture of you well a video of you jumping on new feet so you've got one thing you've got legs yeah and your legs have changed and you know I'm sure you can bamboozle the listeners with how many different types of legs you can have I mean, for me, I mean, you'd have to decide how tall you want to be to start with, don't you? And also the balance. But also feet. You can choose feet and the difference that feet makes and the fact that you can now jump. Yeah, so I'm currently trying various types of feet because I've got... I want to be able to walk and kind of go back to hiking a bit, which is what I used to do when I was younger and what I love to do. So with my prosthetist, we're looking at different feet options and what's going to make my life easier. And this is all through the NHS, which is amazing. I've been trying carbon fibre feet, which are a bit kind of like a blade in a sense. Um, and they're a lot more springy and it felt like I kind of had a spring in my step. So that's what I was jumping on, which was amazing like it's really they give they give you energy back when you're walking because I use double the amount of energy when I walk so 
having something which is giving me energy back and helping me spring and helping me move forward just makes life a lot easier. Um, and then at the moment, I'm the other type of feet I'm trying are high, I've got hydraulic ankles at the moment. <laughs> That's very odd. <laughs> Basically, in prosthetics, you have a fixed ankle. So it means that slopes are really hard because obviously I can't like bend my ankle at all. So you've got to kind of lean backwards as you're going up a hill, or lean a bit forwards as you're going down. And so these hydraulic ankles, they move, your foot will move as a normal person's foot would, like the ankle moves. And I, when I tried them last week, I, it just completely blew my mind because I was, <laughs> I was getting my prosthetist to show me how he walked because I was like, how, like, how do you do this? So yeah, that's been really interesting. But I think what I'll do is I'll have one set of legs with carbon fibre feet on and one set of legs with hydraulic ankles and just use them, use the carbon fibre every day and use the hydraulic ankles when I want to go on hikes and things. And what what about balance? I mean, we take our legs for granted and we take the fact that we balance using our feet all the time. You don't have that luxury. You just have the top parts of your legs. How do you, how does your body and your brain know how to balance properly? Yeah, I don't, (laughs) I don't really know. (laughs) (laughs) You ask me difficult questions here. I think it's just, it has been something which is quite difficult. I think something which I was worried about was obviously when you play the flute and you're standing, Mm. you, you can stand for quite a long time. And I was like, how, how am I going to be able to do that? But it's a lot of using your core and your quads and I, I guess just getting used to it. It's my normal now. So yeah, it's your normal. Are you aware of the fact that you're balancing? I mean, I, I'll, I'll take you back a few, quite a few weeks now where you did a 30 minute recital when you were actually on your feet playing mm. for 30 minutes. As a musician, you can't be aware of your body because you have to be aware of your performance, don't you? So Have you really got to grips with those, with your legs that quickly that you can just play the flute and just disappear off into the the narrative of the music? I think yes and no. So I, (laughs) part of the reason, I did have a chair behind me for this performance. It was with the Croydon Performing Arts Festival. And I, (laughs) but because I'm quite a determined person, (laughs) probably not good, but I was, I kind of, I remember getting towards the last piece in my recital and thinking, I'm not going to sit down. I can, I can make it to the end. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know why. I don't know who I had anything to prove to, but you know, it was, it, it was, it was fun. So I was aware of my legs and I was aware of that sense towards the end, but I think generally I just sort of forget about it now because my prosthetics almost feel part of me in a weird way. <laughs> Have you always been a mover as a flute player? So yeah, when I was younger, well, always really, teachers have often said, oh, Emma, you need to like move around less or, well, yeah, because I, I would, you know, I'd move my feet, I'd kind of, I, I, I'd move when I'm playing. And I remember thinking, <laughs> um, after I had my, um, uh, when I first had my applications, I remember thinking, well, this is going to help my flute playing because I'm going to have to be forced to stand in one place and hopefully I'll move around less. But actually... I'm probably moving around just as much, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which is quite nice. Let's talk one thing that is, I would say fascinates me, but you always hear about it, is phantom. Mm. When you lose part of your body, you get a phantom feeling that it's still there. Yes. So your brain is still sending signals to the nerve endings, and 
I mean, I, I can't explain all the science behind it because I'm definitely not a scientist. Um, <laughs> but it basically means that right now I can I can wiggle my toes and I can move my ankles. <laughs> You've just leaned towards me, shock. <laughs> so, so could you 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 actually get have an itch sometimes? So I I have what's called phantom sensation at the moment. So I can kind of feel it. It's really hard to explain. It's, it's hard to explain, but for, for us mere mortals, the, the fact that I can just wiggle my toes now and I can feel my legs, actually feel yeah. my legs, but you can do the same, but they're not there. I mean, it's just quite, it's odd for... It, it's very, very weird. And it feels a little bit like when you've buried your feet in sand at a beach or something, and then you move them. Oh, yes, and, yes, yes. Or, or like pins and needles. Yeah. That kind of feeling. Yeah, and... I've been quite lucky because I haven't had bad phantom limb pain. I just have sensations, which is where I'm aware of it. And I can kind of say, like right now I can say, oh, I want to wiggle my toes and then I can feel it. But a lot of amputees really, really struggle with phantom limb pain. And I did at the beginning because when you lose a part of your body very suddenly, like I did, your brain takes time to adjust. And it was it was really difficult at the beginning with that. But once I got my prosthetics, I was quite lucky. It kind of all lined up. <laughs> I, I don't know why. But I, I hated um, the phantom limb pains and sensations at the beginning because, you know, it wasn't nice and it was weird. But actually now, like, my foot will start tapping when I'm playing a... Diff- uh, my phantom foot, sorry. When I'm playing a difficult difficult piece of music, it will start tapping. And, and it's kind of a connection to my feet, which I've lost and I think it can be quite comforting in a way. What's the long-term prognosis with phantom limb pain? Does it stay forever or does it sort of diminish? It varies. Who like It varies from between all amputees. Some people have it their whole lives. I'll probably, I might have it my whole life. It might get worse. It might get better. It's just something you've got to live with, really. And they're, they're working on ways of helping people deal with phantom limb pain. But yeah, it's it's a difficult one, and it's it's very weird and quite hard to come to terms with. I think. But the fact that you you're regarding your legs as a new you, how did you decide how tall you wanted to be, or was that purely on balance? <laughs> so originally, they started me off shorter, which is what they do for a lot of amputees, because you have a lower sense of center of gravity, yeah, and and just like to help me walk initially, basically. But I didn't really like it because. I, you know, I'd hug a family member or a friend and I'd be the wrong height. And I'm quite a tall, I was, I'm five, eight, five, nine. And I have a lot of small friends who <laughs> are quite short. And they were just a bit like, this is really weird. It's quite nice that you're at our height. <laughs> but I, I kind of wanted to return to my original height. So I think I'm sort of there now. I don't really know. <laughs> but um, I also actually changed my foot size. Because I was originally size eight feet before my accident and I decided <laughs> to go down to size six because it's really hard to find women's shoes in size eight. <laughs> so that's been great. <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to flute playing. Yeah. Now, after the accident, when did you start playing the flute again? Because obviously your focus was on and obviously your mental space would have been on the the recovery process. So when yeah. did the flute sort of start coming back into your sort of conscious thought process? 
Well, it was an interesting one because I basically had to wear a neck brace for five months because of my accident. So that was like another one of my injuries where basically the neck brace was sort of helping my neck to heal. So I had to wear that for five months. And obviously when you play the flute, you need to turn your neck. And, you know, I thought about kind of trying to do it without that, but I, I've struggled a bit with back problems in the past from not having proper posture and things. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not going to try that. So I actually didn't play the flute until November, uh, October, which is when I got the neck brace off finally. And the neck brace was quite like a difficult thing because we, we just wanted it off. And I just wanted to be able to play, but it, it just took a long time. But I, I guess that was quite a good thing because I think I would have struggled to sort of get back to flute without sort of that forced break. And it actually meant that I could focus on other aspects of music. So I played a lot of piano during that time. <laughs> I kind of learned to play piano better, I guess, because I couldn't pedal. <laughs> so, what was the first? What was that first sound like? Would it sound like a drainpipe? The the flute. Yeah. Um, yeah, it felt. I I played it on the day I got my neck brace off, and it felt like the mouthpiece just felt so alien and weird. <laughs> yeah. And it didn't. Yeah, it didn't sound very good. But I. So I went. I started playing like grade two pieces and grade three pieces, and sort of building it back up slowly. So did you know during those dark days of recovery that you were going to still play the flute? You were really going to come back to it. And you you really did have that drive, at, even, say, during those times when really music was not really in, in the forefront of your, your mindset. I think I did. I think I, I, I wanted to play it again and I wanted to get back to it because it's, you know, it was the longest time I've been without playing the flute. Like, because I went for a whole five months and I think I've never done that since I was seven when I started playing. <laughs> so I think I, yeah, I think I knew I'd go back to it and, yeah, get going again, I guess. And did you teach yourself? I mean, it's like learning to walk again, which you've had to learn to walk. Did you teach yourself to play again or did it come back quite quickly? It came back quicker than I expected. The tone wasn't great, obviously. <laughs> That's the worst thing, isn't it? Yeah, but actually, I the way I did it was by playing things I loved because that would sort of help with my motivation rather than just playing and thinking, oh, it sounds awful, like, why am I doing this? Um, I just went back to, I, I just found all, I dug out all the pieces I used to play when I was little and I loved it. And that really helped. And then actually, I definitely got back to playing quite quickly, back to sort of the standard I was. And I'm hoping I'm going beyond that now, I think. And I kind of put things in the diary to sort of encourage me to play flute again. So I did the Wonderful Winds flute course yep. with Mel Oris and um, Liz Walker, which was amazing. And that, that was really good because that kind of got me more excited about flute again. Yeah, they are both wonderful, motivating human beings, yeah. both of them. They Amazing. They, yeah, that was such, such a good course. And it was all accessible. So I was in my wheelchair. So I turned up to rehearsals in my wheelchair at times and in my legs. And everyone was just so accepting and welcoming and just really encouraging. So let's just touch, and I don't want to go too deeply into it. Let's just touch dark times. We all have dark times in our lives. And you've had to, yours have been darker than most, I would imagine. How have you managed to? Or has there been a process where you've been able to push the dark clouds away? Has there been a process where you visualise positivity? How have you 
and I, I know you'll always have dark days. There'll always be good days and mm. bad days, especially, you know, in the situation you're in. But for most people listening to this who do have ups and downs, what advice could you give them that is, I mean, it's okay saying tomorrow's another day, but when you're feeling really low at that one point, how have you been able to push through it? I think that's a hard one because I think I'm still figuring it out. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I've been doing a lot of writing. Um, so kind of writing my thoughts down and sort of figuring things out that way. And I play a lot of piano when I'm not feeling great sometimes um, because I find that kind of just helps my mind to clear. Yeah, I'd say it's just being kind to yourself, really. And it's saying, like, it's okay that I'm feeling rubbish right now. But it is, and I know it sounds rubbish, but I I am going to get better and I am going to start feeling good again. And, you know, just just being gentle with yourself and planning in self-care days, I'm a big advocate for those. And just trying to be as gentle with yourself as you possibly can, I guess. I think that is the number one, being gentle with yourself and understanding that, yeah, today I feel crap. Today I'm just not in a great space. And as you say, if you know that and you embrace the fact, that reality, then it's much easier than pushing it aside. Now, writing. Yes. Now, you're very good. Not only a good flute player, you, you write really well as well. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, are you. Have you written a diary since? So, yeah. So I started one at the beginning of this year. I was I was sort of doing bits of writing and then I thought, okay, I'm actually going to buy myself like a proper diary notebook. I, I mean, I, I, I'm trying, because when I've tried to do diaries in the past, I have been like, I'm going to write in this every day. And of course, that doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> so I think what I, I, I just write in it when I can and I write the good stuff and the bad stuff. And I'm a very, I it doesn't necessarily have to just be like, dear diary, blah. it's, I also write a lot of lists and other things as well. I write a bit of poetry, not that which I'm never ever going to let anyone read, but it's kind of therapeutic. It's writing for your well-being, which helps. So on a writing scale, so if we think of a seesaw, in the early in yeah. the early days, the negativity would have outweighed the positivity completely. Nearly a year down the road. How how far? Where is that seesaw? So I think it's interesting because when I <laughs> I'm going to completely contradict you here. I'm sorry, <laughs> <laughs> but after my accident when I was in hospital, I was so so positive, and I was you know I was kind of trying to progress and with my walking and it was big things each day and yeah I think I was weirdly happy and sort of. I just had all this momentum and then it was October where the I went on an activity weekend with the Amputation Foundation which was amazing it was so so good but the reality kind of sunk in afterwards of oh like obviously I knew my feet were never going to grow back but I I think I just suddenly was like this is going to be me for the rest of my life and that was really really hard and I had quite a dark time around then I'd say now the seesaw's a bit higher. It's I'm feeling more positive generally. I obviously have periods of down days and doubt, but I'm generally doing better. Well, I'm definitely doing better than I was. And 
I hope that I can just keep recovering and keep working on myself. So the, the seesaw of life just is constantly flipping for you, isn't it? As it does everybody else. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So Emma, tell me about Amputee Musicians UK. So I set up Amputee Musicians UK in January and it's uh, it's in the form of a Facebook group at the moment. And it's basically a network for any amputee or person living with limb difference who loves music. You don't have to be, you don't have to play an instrument. You don't have to be able, I don't know, you don't have to be a virtuoso singer or anything. But um, if you enjoy music or if you play any instruments, you're, you're very, very welcome. And it's sort of a support group, but also it's encouraging new amputees or any amputees to make music and to explore the kind of accessibility in music making. And, you know, there are loads and loads of sports groups for amputees, but there aren't very many music groups. So that is why I set it up. That's quite shocking, isn't it? There's no, I mean, so many millions of people have either played an instrument or have played an instrument, and yet there's no support groups for amputees because you see the sports ones everywhere, don't you? Yeah, there's there's really not much there. <laughs> well, Amputee Musicians UK, and you can find that on Facebook and also Instagram, yeah? Uh, just on Facebook. Just on Facebook at the moment because yeah. no doubt Emma being Emma will... <laughs> And once she's got back into being a student again, and we'll cover that again a, a bit later on, she will no doubt expand Amputee Musicians UK because yeah. where there's a demand and when there's a support network, that I'm sure you will fill the void. Yeah. I'm hoping we'll get there. It's still, it's still developing. <laughs> but people do post and people are very supportive, which is lovely. And the future. You will probably say, being a very positive person, that has not only turned your life upside down, but you would, and I'm putting your words in your mouth and you'll probably shout at me, but <laughs> but you're taking what's happened as the new you in a way that is going to drive you forward uh, in, in the same direction, but at a much different speed, probably faster. What does that future hold for you now? So... I'm in September, I'm going to go to Birmingham Conservatoire to do a master's focusing on flute performance. It's a two year master's um, and I'm really, really looking forward to it because I was going to do, I was going to go last September, but obviously it got deferred and they've been really supportive with all of that. That's sort of the short term future. It's going to be very different going, doing a postgrad as an amputee because obviously my undergrad was with feet, but you know, I, I'm still a flautist, I'm still a musician doesn't really make much difference. I just have slightly funky coloured legs now, um, my sockets. <laughs> and then beyond that, I basically want to have, a, I want to be a professional musician. I'm really enjoying teaching at the moment. I've kind of set up a bit of a teaching business at home, which is great. I'm, I'd also, I mean, I'd love to play in orchestras, but we'll see what happens. I, I'm quite interested in working in healthcare a bit, music and healthcare, playing hospitals and things. And yeah, just seeing, seeing where things take me. I don't have a strict plan. Just as long as I'm doing stuff with music will be great. <laughs> Did you have a plan before the accident? I think my plan has changed a lot throughout the years. And I think I'm kind of learning that actually you, <laughs> you can't really plan too much. <laughs> <laughs> you, I would totally concur with that. I mean, I think it's, it's quite old-fashioned now to say, what is your three-year plan? What is your five-year plan? Because things can change very, very quickly. And, you know, life doesn't always go in a straight line, does it? And you will know that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, another area which I've always been interested in was is conducting. And I did a lot of conducting at uni um, and when I was younger, but I haven't really done much since the amputation. So I would quite like to do bits of that as well in the future. If there's a way for you to do it, I'm sure, Emma, you'll find a way. Because you're not <laughs> you're not a shrinking violet, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> and do you play the piccolo as well? Yes, I do. I'd say my relationship with the piccolo is a little bit um, love-hate. <laughs> <laughs> Emphasising on hate sometimes. No, I, I do play the piccolo and I want I want to be playing it more and I'm hoping I can get some more lessons when I'm at conservatoire and kind of develop my playing. Because I do, I mean, I enjoy blasting it out in an orchestra. It's the it's when the composer wants you to play virtuoso in the middle register, which is, and PP, which is quite hard. <laughs> it's why I've always referred to it as the evil twig. Yeah. <laughs> but when you hear it played properly, it's absolutely beautiful, isn't it? Exactly. It really is. So, Emma, you've been so kind to come onto the podcast this week. How can people reference you? Where can they find out more about you? I'd say my main place at the moment is Instagram, so the Footless Flautist. That's probably it for now. I'm hoping to maybe launch a website soon. But, yeah, through Instagram or if you're interested in Amputee Musicians UK, we have a page um, for anyone who isn't an amputee but interested in the cause, so a Facebook page just called amputee musicians uk or if you are an amputee and you are also a musician and you live in the uk and you have a love for music then you can join the facebook group which is amputee musicians uk group you've got so much to give in um, i wouldn't say motivational way but in a realism way in that you know we often forget that things will be okay and bad things can happen and it happens to us all in certain forms throughout our lives we lose loved ones we lose as as you've you've lost parts of yourself things can happen but i think i think what i've learned from you and your your social media postings is it will be okay it will be okay and your that closing line in that last post just one foot in front of the other literally yes yeah and I, and I think to close the podcast with those words, that let's just put one foot in front of the other, literally, knowing that some days we will take two steps back and other days we will take three steps forward. And whatever days we are at, just know that tomorrow could be the three, day, three steps forward, literally. Yeah. Emma, you've been so wonderful on this podcast and thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I look forward to your your posts because they always make me smile. And I don't know whether it's, that's not really a right thing to say, but they do make me smile because you did a post about the things that you need when you go out, such as go out shopping, for example, you need spare socks. Yeah. And I, I was reading that and I thought, why do you need socks? <laughs> but you actually need to take spare socks, don't you? Yeah, because your legs, they swell, like they fluctuate in size throughout the day. So they'll start off quite swollen, not, well, just bigger. And then you have to add socks as they get smaller so that you can, it's like padding for your prosthetics. So yeah, I basically always have socks in my bag and socks are all over the house. It's yeah. <laughs> well, your posts make me smile and they sort of keep the light burning. And I, I feel good if I'm reading your posts because 
it makes me appreciate what I have. And ultimately, and I'm sure you will say to everybody else, appreciate the fact that you've got legs. Appreciate the fact that you've got full mobility. Because when you don't have it, it's a fight and a long road back, isn't it? Yeah, it is. But it is possible. (laughs) And that's the thing. It is possible. And from the day one, as you said, you just came out and you said, I'm going to make this work. Yeah. (laughs) Obviously, ups and downs, but... Yeah, that's the general. Oh, well, um. I just I just hope the future is really rosy for you, Emma. And I'm wishing you well on your master's when you begin that at university. Thank you. A great place to go and study, I must add. A wonderful place. Yes, definitely. Thank you. And uh, I look forward to hearing more about your new ankles, your new feet, your new legs, <laughs> and also hiking because... Yeah. That'd be really interesting to know how a double amputee will hike up sort of quite steep and rocky terrain. So I'm sure you'll keep all the viewers posted on your Instagram page. Yes, I definitely will. Well, take care, Emma. I look forward to... I will speak again, perhaps when you've begun your Masters. Let's speak again and catch up to see how you're you're faring as a student once again. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And whether you're eating properly, because that's the big thing, isn't it? (laughs) Yes, it is. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you once again to Emma and to you all for joining us on Talking Flutes Extra today. May your week ahead be musically fulfilling. And may your low C resonate because mine never does (laughs) goodbye all Talking Flutes and Talking Flutes Extra are podcast productions by the Trevor James Flute Company. For more information, visit trevorjamesflutes.com.